BET is the global meeting place for the education community. A trusted brand with more than 30 years of heritage, the BET series promotes the discovery of knowledge and technology to enhance lifelong learning. This episode of the EdTech Podcast is sponsored by Pearson, the world's learning company. In a world of increasing change and technological advancement, the need for people to have transferable skills is more important than ever. Aligned to the future of skills and employability, Pearson BTech prepares learners for the future world of work by providing them the knowledge, technical and transferable skills they need to be successful in their careers and in their lives. For more information about BTech qualifications, visit btechworks.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to the EdTech podcast where we aim to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. How are you all and what have you been up to? Here in the UK, spring has definitely sprung and I hope some of you have had the chance to enjoy some time off across the Easter holidays. Back at the EdTech Podcast HQ, the lambs are springing about and the cherry tree is in blossom and I've been kicking off the developer process for my startup work trip, delivering some guest lecturing for my old stomping ground, Sussex University, and working on this very podcast episode for all you lovely listeners. I'm also now pretty much fully recovered from the bug. So what's this week's episode all about? This week's podcast episode is part of our series collaboration with BET, supported by Pearson. Recorded live at BET 2022, you'll hear from David Price, OBE and author of Power of Us, Valerie Hannon, systems rethinker and author of Thrive, The Purpose of Schools in a Changing World, and Sean Gresswell, the Senior Advisor for Careers and Employability at Greenwood Academies. We're talking about schools, employability and skills, namely how to continually develop and connect a careers programme to real-world opportunity for students and school teams to help students find their why. A good careers programme that we've found in the last few years is ever-changing and ever-evolving. And by working with business, experts in their field can help us to to really influence what that needs to look like across the curriculum um, and then um, the careers programme as well. I, I genuinely feel that schools need to be enabled to get out of their own education silo to be more located within their community and generally, and giving opportunities, not just for head teachers, but for teachers too, to have different kinds of experiences in different kinds of organisation with different kinds of cultures. But as they say in, in Liger, the whole world is full of experts and you just have to ask them. They want to work with schools, they just need to be asked. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the key things that we need to be doing in schools is helping young people find their purpose. This episode ranges across practical examples of projects, leaders and policy and I hope that you find the discussion and resources useful. As always you can see all the links at theedtechpodcast.com and please do comment on the episode at podcast edtech using hashtag edtechpod and bet2022. Here we go. So hello everyone and welcome to this session. Thank you very much for coming along. There are some coveted EdTech podcast mugs and stickers at the front. And David has kindly brought along some books for anyone who's... There's three people who ask a question. ...courageous to ask a question during this session. So this session is on schools, employability and skills and is being live recorded for the EdTech podcast. So a quick intro before we start in terms of our guests. 
First of all, we have uh, David Price here in the middle, who's lead for culture at the Power of Us agency. David writes, trains, and advises organizations in both the public and private sectors. His first book, Open, How We'll Work, Live, and Learn in the Future, was an Amazon bestseller. And his next book, The Power of Us, was published in late 2020. He has advised multinational corporations and government education departments all over the world and was awarded the OBE in 2009 by the Queen for Services to Education. So Valerie Hannon um, is also a global thought leader, inspiring systems to rethink what success will mean in the 21st century and the implications therein for education. She's the co-founder of both Innovation Unit and the Global Education Leaderships Partnership, And Valerie is also an advisor to the OECD in its Education 2030 project and has substantial publications and research in this area, including Learning and Living, Radical Innovation in Education for Work, and Thrive, the Purpose of Schools in a Changing World. And finally, we have Sean Gresswell, who's come all the way down from Nottingham today on the train. Uh, And Sean is a senior advisor for careers and employability at the Greenwood Academies Trust. So the Greenwood Academies Trust currently has 36 open academies educating approximately 17,000 pupils across seven local authority areas. Within this role, she works with career leads across those academies to develop a stable careers program of inspirational work-related activities for pupils aged 4 to 18. And Sean's previous roles have included working for a large number of pharmaceutical companies, including AstraZeneca. So there's the introductions. Let's get straight into things. Um, David, Sean and Valerie, you've all got amazing experience weaving between education and business. At a very top level, what does this subject mean to you and what would you like to see more of to support young people in the world of work? So Valerie, would you like to kick off? Uh, Sophie, thank you very much. And hello, everybody. Thanks for coming to this talk. Um, Conversation, I hope. Um, I often think that teachers get a bit turned off by the term employability, um, remembering that education is about so much more. And so I think we have to just locate that term within a broader set of objectives, which I hope increasingly we'll be talking the language of thriving. We are in the business of helping young people thrive in their lives. And for sure, in that, they need to be making a living or finding a way to balance life with finding an income which is both satisfying and purposeful. And I think one of the key things that we need to be doing in schools is helping young people find their purpose. And part of that purpose will help them earn a living and hopefully make the kind of life that they want to do. But the first thing to say about the labour market itself, of course, is It's extreme unpredictability and volatility. And Sophie, I think if your parents had been told when you'd been born that you'd be earning a living running something called the EdTech podcast, that I said, really? What? I think they still say that, to be honest. Exactly. (laughs) So the kids being born now will be in jobs God knows, God alone knows. And that's partly about technology, certainly, but a whole range of other factors as well. So here we are, entering the fourth industrial revolution with massive uncertainty and unpredictability. How on earth can schools rise to that challenge and help young people realize their purpose, part of which is to find meaningful work and employment which feeds them and their dependents if they have any? Well, I discern two major 
trends, or maybe, maybe three. One is schools are saying, you know what? In the face of the rise of artificial intelligence, the supremacy of technology, what's becoming increasingly important for humans is to be more human and to really support and promote the skills which are very distinctive to humans. And they, of course, include the skills to collaborate, to be creative, um, to think in ways which are human-centered and empathetic. And increasingly, it looks as though work in those fields is going to be the area that absolutely explodes. But picking winners is really, really critical. And I think that schools who enter this field really hard, try to keep a very wide set of options open for their young people. It's not about picking winners. It's about equipping young people to navigate a very fast-moving field of work. And then the second strategy I discern, and I'm working with one up in Doncaster in Yorkshire at the moment, is to try to be hyper-local and look at what's going on in your locality, which is what Doncaster's doing, where they're creating something called the Talent and Innovation Ecosystem. And they're working with four major fields, major employers in their environment right now, which are health, creative and digital, advanced engineering, and green skills. And they're linking up the major employers in those fields with schools to say, right, how do we create terrific pathways for young people who can see a future for themselves in employment in those fields? That's the second way. All I say is that both of those initiatives, both of those strategies are proactive. What they are not doing is just say, oh, well, let's just help our kids garner a, you know, a fistful of qualifications, um, give them a few ideas about what courses are available, and hope for the best. Good luck with that. David. Well, uh, can you hear me, by the way? It's, it is kind of noisy. Good. So Valerie and I have actually known each other a long time and done quite a lot of work together and so we're in the habit of kind of building on that on on what each other says and for me I'd, I'd want to ask the question what's wrong with this picture and when I started researching th this book I came across a young man 17 year old from Seattle called Abby Schiffman and this was at the start of the pandemic and the United States the most technologically advanced country in the world didn't have a COVID tracking website so Abby built one in three days, just stayed up all day, all night, built a COVID tracking website for which he won the Webby Young Person of the Year. It's, it's like the Oscars for web designers. Anthony Fauci says it's the most authoritative um, website in the world when it comes to COVID. He also built a, a website which was tracking the George Floyd protests and he was applying for college. And... He said to me, I'll never get into college. I said, why not? He said, because I've got a grade point average of one, uh, 1.7, which is rubbish. It, it, most colleges will not look at you in the US with that kind of qualification. Fortunately, Avi got into Harvard, who recognized the kind of social entrepreneurialism, and he came back into my life last night when we, we have been... Uh, joined together with a Ukrainian family because Avi has built a website called Ukraine Take Shelter. The Ukrainians I've spoke about haven't got a clue that we have a government website, but they all know about Avi's. And he's now 21. And what's wrong with this picture that somebody like Avi wonders 
how we'll ever get into college or ever get a job. We know that employers are desperate for people like Avi, and yet schools still are being told, just concentrate on the qualifications. So Valerie's right, just getting a fistful of qualifications doesn't cut it anymore. You need the kind of presentational skills, the entrepreneurialism that young men like Avi are showing. Thank you, David. Um, Sean, as well, from the school perspective, you know, you're working across all of these schools. What are you seeing and what would you like to kind of develop more as well? Thank you, Sophie. Yeah, so I work with 36 careers leaders. My role is um, advisor for, for careers and employability. Um, and I work with infant schools, primary schools, uh, right the way up to, to sixth form. Um, and I am lucky that I, I work for, with a group of schools with employability and digital skill development as some of our trust priorities. So in terms of kind of having the doors open for us to do this work, I, I do feel quite fortunate that uh, my colleagues and I seem to be on, on the same page. Obviously, my role exists within the trust, which is an indicator of that. And uh, one of the keys for, for me um, for, for succeeding in this area really is to have um, careers leads in each of our schools. So in, from our infant schools right the way through to our um, secondary schools and our sixth forms, we have careers leads who are committed to, to the skills development and, and career program agenda. Um, and making room for, for embedding a quality careers program, which includes work experience and experiences of workplace being um, in touch and, and connecting young people with role models so they can hear from people working in the, the fast changing world of work what skills are important for them in their roles um, and also um, having the, the space within um, the school um, within the CPD um, agenda to, to upskill teachers as well. I'm a business teacher, I changed careers in my, my late 20s and then kind of fell into um, career development. So I've changed careers kind of three times personally, um, and I couldn't even possibly count the amount of individual jobs that I've had. I think I added it up once for an assembly, and it was about 30, 10 years ago. So that, that is the reality now for our young people. They are going to have lots of different careers. Um, so if we are not um, giving them the chance to develop at least a set of essential basic skills that are transferable across every single career, no matter what, what job or what sector they end up in, um, and then an introduction to some of the more um, increasingly vital and essential digital skills as well. Um, I think we are doing our young people a disservice. And, um, and, and that's the other point that I'll just finish on to, to begin with, is that our, um, a good careers program that we've found in the last few years is ever-changing and ever-evolving. And by working with business, they can... Um, experts in their field can help us to, to really influence what that needs to look like across the curriculum um, and then um, the careers program um, as well. Fantastic, thank you. I'd love to pick up on that point of squiggly careers later on. Um, but before that, um, you know, we had a, a prep call for this session and at the time I was quite excited because I'd had a recording with an entrepreneur in Estonia. Um, their company is called Clanbeat. And they were telling me about how um, in Estonia there's a program to basically allow head teachers to sort of have internships in corporate environments to bring back this kind of cycle of ideas back into the, the world of work within schools. And uh, Valerie was like, you know, well, we, we've had that here already. And so I guess there's an interesting thing there about sort of almost like policy amnesia and like, you know, recycling policy and how do we... 
how do we make sure that we keep some of the good ideas? So my question here is, what are some of the best people, projects or policy that demonstrate the connections between schools, skills and employment? Um, I, I genuinely feel that schools need to be enabled to get out of their own education silo, to be more located within their community and generally, and giving opportunities, not just for head teachers, but for teachers too, to have different kinds of experiences in different kinds of organisation with different kinds of cultures. And, you know, if you're an education lifer, as I was, and you don't know anything other than the world of education, I mean, blatantly, that's incredibly self-limiting and hugely limiting for your students. Um, I mean, I, I could give you some anecdotes about my own educational experience as a kid, where it happened that I went to a convent, and that's the ultimate enclosed silo. <laughs> uh, and the nuns knew nothing about the world of work. And so what did I do? I ended up going into teaching because I didn't know anything else. And so the notion of blending worlds and getting out of the silo seems to me to be fundamental. Now, it doesn't have to be internships, although I think internships are, are a great method. And as Sophie says, 30 years ago, we had a terrific exchange program for head teachers to do that on quite a scale. Um, I think there should be more of that with teachers as well, but also for young people. So one of the most exciting... I guess innovations over the last 10 years has been the big picture learning company, establishing schools across the US, across Australia, and we've just established one here in this country as well, actually in Doncaster as it happens. And big picture, make internships for young people, not, not work experience, it's different, but internships are a fundamental part of their learning journey. So I guess I'm saying being a part of the world as opposed to being stuck inside a school mm -hmm. is fundamental to the approach. And Sean, how easy is that? You know, because I think a lot of the successful organisations out there do have that kind of porous element to them. They are able to sort of take in and, and give back and it's that exchange. So what's your experience of that and when it works best and, you know, any, any other things that you'd like to do to sort of leverage that even more? I think the appetite is definitely there with teachers. Yeah. Um, we've got some great examples of STEM teachers connecting with business through um, the, the STEM um, ambassador program. Um, and there was a program called Business Class through Business in the Community that quite a few of our schools sure, were involved in a few years back, um, which did exactly that, connected a school with a business in a growth sector in, in a local area. Um, so not only students benefited, but, but teachers benefited. But um, as we all know, time is a premium. It is um, really difficult to um, enable these things to happen. But what we certainly see within our schools that have got a strong commitment to careers, and when I say strong careers program, not only a strong careers leader, but backing by SLT, a careers program that is embedded into subject areas. Um, everybody is um, kind of contributing their own expertise, um, making their own subject relevant, um, and a careers program that doesn't just happen as a one-off, because there are some f fantastic programs that we get involved in, and that small group of students might benefit from in one year or maybe a couple of years at best. But when we see it being really impactful is when a careers leader has the space to develop that and um, really embed things and, and help things happen year in, year out. And then we can work with organizations. We, I mean, just starting where I began, we work with an organization called Skills Builder, which mm -hmm. really um, 
focuses on eight essential skills, um, like I mentioned, that will be um, essential for, for any career. So communication, um, self-management, um, collaboration. Um, and then there's a, a program that we're just dipping our toe in the water with, but we've got a partnership with Microsoft. And some of my colleagues have been here over the last couple of days and, and they are Microsoft showcase schools, but we're a group of 36 schools. So actually, um, a small group of our schools are really kind of embracing technology in the classroom. Um, but then when you start to explore what some of these um, fantastic employers have got to offer, there's a program called Explore the Digital Future, which we're really hoping to... Um, build into our careers program. So alongside the, the skills builder framework, um, if we then start to look at things like AI and coding and exploring the ethics around technology, all of those uh, resources are there. I think the challenge is making the time for teachers and for careers leaders um, and for SLT to actually make the commitment for that to be part of the school culture. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I kind of think we wouldn't be having this discussion if we built a curriculum around the scaffolding of experiences rather than the scaffolding of learning. There's an amazing school in Cambodia called the Liga Leadership Academy, and, and that's precisely what they do. They say, we can talk about scaffolding content and learning, but actually, how do we give the kids the experiences where incrementally, over time, they're given more and more responsibility to do things that they do in, in Liga, like writing the national textbook for geography. The kids wrote that for other kids, like uh, doing marine conservation projects with the government, or as they're currently working on, and this has been a four-year project, launching Cambodia's first ever satellite, for which they had to do a Kickstarter GoFundMe campaign because they're dirt poor. What I think we're seeing uh, around the world now are schools which have been established by tech entrepreneurs, and Liger is one of them, funded by... Um, a couple of tech entrepreneurs who then brought in social entrepreneurs to set up the curriculum. And when you meet these kids, you just know that they are going to be leaders of the future. They're going to find work because they're constantly talking to adults. They're constantly developing those skills. They're working with NASA scientists. And bear in mind, most of the time, they're doing that all by Skype or Zoom because they're, they're all over in Cambodia. But as they say in, in Liga, the whole world is full of experts and you just have to ask them. They want to work with schools. They just need to be asked. Mm -hmm. So that is a fantastic point and one that I'm quite excited about because I've just joined as a governor of a, a small rural school and I'm trying to impress that idea that it doesn't really matter where you're located. You've got this amazing opportunity now with technology to... You know, just down the road is the CEO of the um, Spaceport Cornwall. So, you know, what a fantastic opportunity to bring them in. And that is a local thing. But, you know, you can connect with, with, with people further afield as well. At this point, so we have got 14 minutes uh, left, roughly. And I'd like to see if we could uh, give away one of these fantastic books. So does everyone, uh, does anyone have a question? We've got a question just here. Thank you. Hello. Um, I'm interested to know, how do you propose um, creating really meaningful work experiences for our sick formers in particular in the world of hybrid working? We're finding it really difficult to get kind of face-to-face -face experiences for them. And we don't feel like they're getting a meaningful experience by just joining a company on a computer for two days. I think the question is... How do you get your young people in meaningful face-to-face -face work experience as opposed to just... In a, in a hybrid world, yes. A, okay. Yeah. It's a really good question. 
And I, I think schools have had a really difficult couple of years in, in that area because clearly they weren't able to, to get kids out working on projects or working in the community. I, but I think even in the most kind of high-tech environments, there is a need to develop those kind of face-to-face communication presentational skills. But I also think that we just have to acknowledge now that the hybrid world is how it's going to be going forward. Well, no, no one's going to be, you know, in the office nine to five. So it's just as important a skill for a young person to acquire to sit down, switch the Zoom camera on, and then start to have a, you know, an engaging conversation. So I think we just have to accept that this is now part of the environment and we'll have to adjust accordingly. So just very quickly, and I'll go to Sean, but um, I think there's two points there. You know, one is during the pandemic, it was obviously really hard to do that. I mean, you couldn't do it. And there's um, a company I've got down here called um, SpringPod, and they provide an enrollment for over 110,000 people, young people doing virtual work experience during the pandemic. Because there was this, you suddenly, you know, that whole world got closed off to people. And then I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, Sean, but um, I think basically it comes down to networking, doesn't it? It comes down to building those relationships and that, again, takes time. So, you know, that is tricky. But, yeah, what were your thoughts? Definitely, and I'd love to hear more about SpringPod because that's something that keeps being brought to my attention as well. So that's, <coughs> uh, that's definitely one I would like to find out more about. But I share, we, we've been having the same conversation and it is really, really challenging. So I think there's been some really great virtual work experience offers, hasn't there? But um, as, as great as they've been, we're all a little bit um, tired of doing things virtually. Um, and I think we've got to the point where, within our trust anyway, we have six six forms, eight secondaries, um, and we have had to develop a more flexible approach. So we kind of start with, for the, for the students that can find their own work experience, face-to-face placement's great, and we will we'll always encourage them to find their own. For those that, that can't, maybe we'll use our um, networks, work with local enterprise partnerships, work with the careers and enterprise company to be partnered <laughs> with those um, businesses and maybe design more of a hybrid model where they have, say, a project to work on. They might be connecting with the business so they have time within the, the school day to, to network within different departments and then they spend a day or two in the business so it's not maybe traditionally um, like it was hosting a student for the full two weeks or, or a week but they've still got that to look forward to in that face-to-face experience meeting employees so it's not the best case scenario but actually is it more of a a reality of the way that they might be working we hope that it's giving them the skills that they will need as well so okay um any more questions from the audience so we've got a couple here let's go to those uh hi there um i thought you made a great point about um students finding their purposes um but i wonder if you have an opinion on how this might be with adult education and, and employability skills with, with, in the adult sector. Well, yeah. Um, of, of course, what's source for the goose is source for the gander. And in a sense, <laughs> it's life's journey, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and you might have been 15 years working in schools and suddenly realise you haven't found your life's purpose and you need to... Going back to Sophie's point, we now know, all the data shows us, you won't just have 10, 20, maybe 30 jobs. You'll move from field to field as well as new fields grow up, like the EdTech podcast industry. Um, so I do think that aside from the, the sharp focus on employability, schools which actually enable young people to explore issues about personal purpose 
values, the big issues confronting the world, as like a leadership academy does, and there are multiple other examples, um, are really getting to the very heart of all of this. And God knows, I wish that as adults, we had the opportunity, and I hate to sound like the veteran that I am, as once there was in terms of adult education opportunities, most of which have been obliterated, um, to continue to to do taster things, to to develop new skills, to find new passions in mid or later life. Um, And it's a great sadness to me that that appears not to be the case. And it's left very much to individuals to to find their way forward. Um, Some countries do it differently. Um, I I won't go on about what those are because it just makes you wild with fury. Um, But your point is absolutely valid and I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I I mean, you'll have heard this phrase, the resignation wave. And it's a real thing. It's happening all around the world. And COVID is the, has been the kind of trigger for it. Although it was, people were having that re-evaluation of their lives. But if you think that last summer, 75% of Brits considered either quitting the job, moving house, or leaving their partner. That's three out of every four. <laughs> These are huge, big life changes. And the, edu- the resignation wave doesn't, miss out education what we're seeing around the education sector is huge numbers of ceos and head teachers who are just saying i want to do something else with my life but you're right there just isn't the support out there and we are going to have to recognize this because what's happening is we're getting we're going to get successive resignation waves people will go well i'll try and do something else but they've not been prepared for it properly so that doesn't work so then they'll try and do something else We're going to be living with this for decades. The other part of the equation is the retention imperative. And companies have to think about what are we doing when we get people who are here because of a sense of purpose to keep them here. And that gets into a whole other ballgame. But you're right. It's a very good question. And it wins you a book. Uh, just briefly added to that, I think one of the benefits for us as a group of schools for doing some of our careers events online using Teams over the past couple of years has been the fact that we've um, reached a parent audience as well, and it's made us aware that we, we do want to do more. We do, you know, we do invite parents along to um, pe- um, careers fairs, for example, but I think as schools kind of changing the brief slightly um, and... Um, making employers or you know presenters aware that their, their audience may also include adults um, and not just tailoring their talk to, to children um, I think that that has um, helped slightly well could I just pick up on that yeah. because often people listen to people like Sean and us and they go oh we'd love to do that but you know you, we haven't got the infrastructure there's a tiny little primary school in Sydney that I've been working with for eight years now the principal there of that school says my job is not to train the kids, not to educate the kids. It's to build a community. And so she started doing adult learning classes. She did leadership courses for um, uh, single mothers who were refugees. It's a highly ethnically diverse community. She probably spends as much time now retraining these migrants who have come into Sydney as she does working with the kids. And what's beautiful about it is in some cases, like when it comes to swimming classes, you, you ask a Lebanese person, can they swim? They'll go, no, but we've got a bunch of Australian kids who can teach you how to. So there's a, there's a beautiful opportunity there as well. 
that's great. I was just going to kind of add to that. And um, just to give an example, I think um, I'm a big advocate of um, if children are excited about what they learn about careers and, and skills development and they're going home and they can't wait to talk about it with their parents, that then has a positive effect. Um, and I know that is a, a challenge to actually get children to open up about anything that they've done in the school day. But it does happen. And, and one example is... Um, a former student of ours, she went through the degree apprenticeship route at Rolls-Royce to do a manufacturing um, engineering degree. And she now, I'm also a huge advocate of kind of representing um, lots of different backgrounds and um, for children to see people who've come from the same postcode as them being successful and coming back and sharing that. Um, but this one particular girl, um, Frida, um, she went on and um, was hugely successful, got her first um, in her degree through the um, apprenticeship route. She now comes back and does a, a program called Discover STEM into the classroom. So she's working with um, inspiring the next generation. But also she used to go home and um, as part of her revision technique, she used to teach her mum everything that she'd learned in her like, business studies and engineering lessons. And, and her mum is now kind of retrained. Um, it, I think she's in her mid-50s and she's now doing... Um, she's gone, um, through the healthcare assistant routes and she's now training to be a nurse and I think that you know that may have happened but a huge factor in that was her daughter's passion coming home and succeeding and having these doors opened to her that she had never considered she she was adamant that her daughter was going to go to university but actually seeing these different opportunities um, kind of being lived and breathed in her own family and her own household inspired her to then um, seek out the opportunities and I appreciate that those opportunities are not maybe as um, forthcoming as they they should be but they you know they well, are out there yeah, and, but, but any um, school could do this yeah. the biggest and most underutilized resource that any school has is in the skills of the parents how many, how many schools tap into those skills? Tiny numbers. Just, just on both of those examples, very quickly, and then we, we have now got two minutes. Um, we've got another is, question uh, as well. We've got another <laughs> question. Is pet, I remember that we had a, a guest on the episode, and it was about a project called Parent Power. And again, that was about making King's College more open to people that used to walk past and think, that's not for me. And they went into the community. And built, it took a long time. Like They built that relationship with a different part of the commu- local community and then started to see more students come from that area. But, yeah, I think, again, it takes time. Last question. Hi, sorry, the um, We had a careers fair the other day, and um, uh, I think one of my first speakers came on board and said, uh, by the way, it doesn't matter what degree you do, uh, you're more than likely to be uh, earning a living doing something completely different. And I wondered about the inefficiencies of what we're teaching, and really, I mean, we have this series of knowledge objectives. Um, yeah. And, you know, knowledge, understanding and application and almost none of them factor in anything to do with entrepreneurship. Uh, how do we reconcile the inefficiencies of what we're teaching when we should be directing them straight to the, you know, straight to the what, what leaders are looking for, what, what, employ, uh, what employees are looking for, everything. I mean, yeah. you, you're dead right. It, it takes it back to the the statement I made at the start, what's wrong with this picture? When Google, Ernst & Young, PricewaterhouseCooper, three of the biggest companies in the world, all say, we're not interested in your degree. Show us what you've done. We're getting this wrong. <laughs> when, when, when companies like that are going, qualification doesn't matter. Barry? Well, I just want to say they are irreconcilable to your question. But actually... Knowledge is not unimportant. Yeah. So let's not get ourselves painted into a kind of hippy-dippy, let it all hang out, you know, just Google it, end of story. 
when you go to your doctor, you do not want her to be saying, hang on a minute, I'll just Google that set of conditions. <laughs> Knowledge is really, really important. Um, but our balance is completely wrong. The issue of scaffolding experiences and thinking in terms of competencies, and if Sean mentioned, uh, Sophie mentioned right at the beginning, the OECD Education 2030 project. If you don't know it, take a quick look, because what it puts at the heart is this idea of competence, which is a mix of knowledge and skills and aptitudes and values. Values. And I really think that's what we need to be looking at. And last point, patently, obviously, the direction in policy that we've taken in this country is quite wrong. And our kids will learn to pay the price, I'm sorry to say. Yep. So that brings me directly to time, feeling very smug because I was almost on the point and I didn't get any death stares from the back. So thank you so much to my amazing guests. Um, do come and collect your book if you answered it or them. asked a question. Alex being and, given them uh, out. Alex may have a few more. And just thank you all so much for coming along and uh, have a great rest of your day. That's all for this week. Thank you to all of this week's guests, Rebecca, for partnering on the series and Pearson for supporting this episode. Thank you also to everyone for listening in and to anyone in the live audience for asking questions. We've got future episodes coming up in this series on esports and the future of work. And we've got another episode already recorded with guests from the Female EdTech Fellowship, which we'll be sharing shortly. Have a great week. Bye bye.